on earth did you do what you just did in there? I was destined for this. I was born and raised for it. And uh, I love a good fight, and a good fight it was. Were you more hurt in this fight than what you were in the first fight? I don't really recall it, to be honest. You get dropped sometimes, and, uh, and that's it, it's boxing. You can't go swimming and not get wet. But the most important thing is you keep getting back up and keep trying. What happened at the end? It sounded like he, he kind of didn't want to congratulate you. shake hands after the fight, and that's up to him. Fair play to him. No, I'm going to ask you, ask, ask you one big thing. There was a video that went out on your social media about moments in time, and that's all we own is moments in time. Right now, right now you're the best heavyweight in the whole world. You've got a lovely family. How do you feel? Do you feel happy right now at this moment in time? I'm very happy, I'm ecstatic, and uh, very, very blessed. Lennox, get in here! Come on, Lennox, get in here! What on earth is it going to take to beat Tyson Fury? Nail him to the canvas and get 52 inch nails. Apart from that, I ain't going to get beat. Tyson, thank you so much for a great fight. Congratulations. Hey guys, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where DAZN really want to charge you $29.99 to watch Dillian White versus Andy Ruiz. No, I kid you not. $29.99. Do you know... I'm just going to keep this in. Oh. Let me get serious. So, I want to come back to that that zone thing, but what I really want to do in this episode is actually talk about just some questions that I've been asked, either in the DMs or on phone calls and so forth, just around what's happened this weekend. And I'm also conscious that I hadn't really given Eddie any praise for for Saturday show in Liverpool, which, I, however you want to view Eddie Hearn and however you want to view Matchroom. Saturday delivered in terms of entertainment you know the kind of fights that we like to see on a Saturday night I think Saturday in Liverpool was a massive tick for British boxing but I want to start with maybe the biggest fight we've had you know for a long old time well maybe since the last Fury Wilder fight right and I was talking to people about this and my theory on it has always been the fight was a lot closer than people are giving it credit for. But the thing is, that, that half a percent, that half a percent difference between the two was magnified by the outcome of the fight. So, so, so if you ask me the question as a fan, what did Fury have that Wilder didn't? Then let's just break boxing down quickly. Jab? Not really. Wilder's jab was pretty good initially it was snappy it was fast and it had enough of an effect that fury didn't want to feel too many of those jabs to the body right and you saw fury taking outsized leaps backwards right which for which for a big guys quite draining so you don't want to do that unless you absolutely have to so we know the jab was okay right hand to it, in essence 
they attacked each other with the same weapons. You weren't seeing a lot of wild hooks. You weren't seeing a lot of crazy uppercuts. You were seeing a very compact game. They kept it. They both kept it within the width of the shoulders. So a lot of jabs, one twos, double jab, right hands. That that's pretty much the story of the fight, right? There was there was nothing else spectacular. It, were Fury's feet quicker in the first half of the fight? I wouldn't say so. The first half of the fight was relatively even. So what was that half a percent difference? And for me, it was this. Fury knew how to read shots, and Fury knew how to ride shots. And this is where I took issue with the punch stats that were on Showtime. They weren't giving Wilder credit for a lot of the punches he was landing. Whereas they were giving Fury probably an outsized view of the punches he was landing. But here was the difference. Wilder was taking the punches flush. I don't know if he was trying to prove his toughness or if he was just clueless about this. But Wilder was taking those shots flush. Whereas Tyson, he rode a lot of those shots. Some clipped the shoulders. You know, Tyson turned away from some of them, so they ended up catching him just kind of where the, the jawbone and the neck come together. He, he was cute. He did, what, he did what the old-time fighters would do. You know, don't, don't spend too much time with your hands up. You're only going to tire your arms out. Use your whole body as a defensive shield. And Fury was really good at that. And so what ended up happening was they're hitting each other with really hard shots. The difference is Fury's riding those shots. He's not taking the full impact. That allowed him to go longer. Had Fury stiffened up like Wilder did like from rounds five onwards, had, had Wilder stiffened up, then you would have, you, and not Wilder, had Fury stiffened up, you'd have probably seen him start to feel the pace a lot more as well. But that's what experience is. That's what being born and raised in the sport is. That's what being around someone like a, a John Fury, who was a journeyman and was a sparring partner, you learn those tricks, those survival tricks, that, that, that kind of old-time boxing. Because if you go back to the, what, the 20s and the 30s, those guys were fighting sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week. So the aim of the game when you were a journeyman was to not take punishment. And that's why you see some of these intricate defensive styles because the aim is not to take punishment. And so what do you do? You use your body. You use the most muscular parts of your body as your first line of defense. Fury did that better than Wilder. That was the difference in the fight. Not, not that Fury's right hand was heavier or better. They were equally as clumsy because they're just two oversized human beings. But Fury had that now that experience where he could read what Wilder was doing. And so his defense was always a two-move sequence as a minimum. Wilder's was a one-move sequence. So that meant Fury could hit him with three-punch combinations and know that two of them were going to land. Fury never gave Wilder that opportunity. That, was, that there was the main difference in the fight. Now, Fury did some stuff like, you know, start to use the feints more to slow the pace down. But in terms of that kind of collision of heavy artillery, it was that Wilder took everything flush and Fury, Fury didn't. Fury rode a lot of those shots that would have probably wiped out most other opponents. Then you go, how many other opponents have that ability that Fury has to, to read the shots and to ride them? Not that many. A lot of these other guys are eating those wilder punches flush. And that's why I'm not so worried about Deontay carrying on or not carrying on because there's still a lot of people he could not clean out.
As long as he's got the heart and desire to do it, he should still have a strong career ahead of him. The second question I was asked was, how does that version of Wilder get on against Anthony Joshua as he currently stands? And I just said, it doesn't go six rounds. I think Wilder knocks him out. I think Wilder knocks him bandy. Absolutely bandy. Because for a long time, we, we, we lived on the assumption that Anthony Joshua would just run over Wilder. So one thing we've learned is, you can drop Wilder, he will come back swinging. And what we've learned about Joshua is when guys come back swinging, he gets scared. And I don't mean scared in like the, the kind of average man on the street scared or scared of a mouse type scared. I mean scared as in he doesn't want to be there anymore. It's a bit more of a fight than he anticipated. So do I see Joshua knocking Wilder out? No, because Joshua hasn't one-punched anyone probably since Dillian, right? He hasn't one-punched someone since Dillian. And Fury couldn't one-punch Wilder until Wilder ran out of gas. So you have to respect Wilder's chin and his toughness. Now let's turn it around. Do you respect Joshua's chin? Do you respect his toughness? Hmm. Exactly. So, so Wilder still holds the whip hand in that contest. So let's give him his respect. He came up short against the guy who's the best of his generation. You know, all of this talk of Fury's the best of all time and he could have beaten anyone is nonsense. You can't compare eras, though. If Muhammad Ali had the nutrition available now when he was born, would he have been 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, Probably. Would he have been 250 pounds? Probably. George Foreman, for example, would George Foreman have been 6'7", six, 6'8", six, 280? Maybe. Ken Norton, what would Ken Norton look like on, on today's, you know, diet and rare blend of nuts, berries and juices? I don't know. So it's hard to compare eras. What you can say is Tyson Fury with that skill set and that toughness is a factor in any era. That, that, that's the respect you pay him. He's a factor in any era. He could hang in any era. I think Wilder could hang in any era too because he's just a wild card. But big respect to those guys. The only area of contention, and this is one I've had, this discussion I've had with my boxing friends and all that sort of stuff, is about the handshake at the end. I don't know why people do it. I, I think it's disrespectful, if I'm being honest with you. And I say this having played a number of different sports where this nonsense happens. So let's just think of a situation here. Two men fight for 11 rounds, or 10 and a half rounds, whatever it was. And that's the culmination of three years of hostility and abuse and disrespect. And you've said this and I've said that. Stuff that, whatever people like to say in public, it doesn't go away. And we saw that with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, right? Joe could never let it go. The disrespect was, it cut too deep. Those things take a long time to come back from. So when a fight's over, the winner can, obviously the winner can walk over and shake hands. That's, it's easy. When, you, when you've won, everything's easy. You can go over there and go, oh, well done, mate. You, you did your best, right? You can. In fact, what you're doing is you're rubbing, you're rubbing their face in the dirt. Just go, well, <laughs> you're looking at the winner here. And then you've got Wilder going, I've tried everything I could for three fights. And I couldn't beat this guy. I thought I was invincible. I genuinely thought I was invincible. I thought I was bomb squad for life. And this happens. 
And this happens because of this guy that's been abusing me for three years, him and his mates, and just all this kind of disrespect that I'm not used to. Of course I don't want to shake your hand. And, and that, that should never have been a factor. Um, Sugar Hill Stewart has done a fantastic job. Maybe in, in, the, in the joy round victory, he lost that composure to say, Tyson, stay in this corner. I'm going to go and talk to Malik Scott. We have a good relationship. I'm going to see where, where Wilder's head is at. That's what I would have done. I would have gone over to Malik Scott and said, good fight. You know, you guys did your best. You surprised with a few things. Yeah, yeah, Hey, what's Deontay like? Are we going to get a, a handshake and embrace? And if Malik says no, I say, cool. Well, let's, let's leave it there. We don't want to cause any controversy. That's the right thing to do. So all these people in boxing that say, ah, it's not sportsman, like, shut up. Like, those are losers talking. Those are losers talking. I, I, I'll give you an example. I remember once I went bowling with, with my girlfriend of the time and I lost. And she spent like three hours gloating about it. And I ended the relationship right there and then. Just ended it. You know, I ended it. And people will say, why? I said, number one, I was young. Number two, I was like, now you've really lost. You know, some people are, are bad losers. And if you ask me as a trainer, they're the kind of people I love to train. I don't, know, I don't want someone losing a fight, shaking hands and going, yeah, you're the better man. That makes me sick. I also remember once I was playing, playing rugby for Clifton. And we had to play a friendly against one of these teams from South Gloucestershire. I don't want to name names because, you know, they, they may have moved on as a club. Now, and this happened in numerous games before. But in this game, like, the racial abuse was quite nasty. And it was, it was like, on the pitch. And I'm playing. And my captain's telling me, he's like, listen, let's just get the game done. Then we'll deal with it afterwards. And I said, I can't do that. Like, if this doesn't stop at halftime, I'm going to take it into my own hands. So halftime, captain has a word with the ref and says, you got to do something. And we were in a ruck. And I've got my hands on the ball. And I've been hit by one of the opposition. And in doing that, like my hands are on the ball. So I've managed to pull the ball out the ruck. So it's flown out on our side. It's a great turnover. And I heard someone shout out some racial abuse. And I asked my teammate, I was like, was it their tight head prop? He said, yeah. I said, okay, cool. I'm going to go and deal with this. And so a couple of phases later well, in the game, one of our teammates tackles this tight head prop and I've flown in over my teammate and clattered this guy with my shoulder, disintegrated his nose. Like proper Roy Keane style, stood over him and went, say something now. He's out cold at this point. I'm like, say something now. And I'm going mad. My teammates pull me away. Ref comes over to me. I'm like, you got to send him off first. You know what he said. You heard it. And ref's like, you're both going off. So I walk off because I got sent off. And then he gets sent off. At the end of the game, did we shake hands? Did we hell? Captain spoke. He's like, listen, mate, there's going to be no guard of honor. We're not shaking hands. We're showering and we're leaving. Because that was disgraceful behavior. A lot of this stuff, man, it forces people to do stuff they're not comfortable doing. The shaking hands thing doesn't work for me. I don't, I'm not even mad at Shannon Courtney for not wanting to shake hands. Why would you? 
You know, the, the time to appreciate what someone's done to you is when you've moved on from me. In, the, in that moment, it's, it's too uncomfortable. It's too, it's too raw. And no one has empathy with that. You know, you, you're always seen as being unsportsmanlike. It's unsportsmanlike to go and antagonize someone who's just lost. It's a lack of respect. So that's probably one of the few times I do feel sorry for Shannon Courtney. But having said that, there is a Shannon Courtney problem that someone in boxing has to address because someone with that fantastic a story shouldn't be this disliked. Someone's giving her the wrong advice or she's disregarding the right advice. I don't know what it is because I've seen Shannon through the amateurs grafted through and through, would work as hard as she could to get done what she had to get done. Was she great in the ring? No. No. She lost many fights that you thought she should have won. And she knows that. And so she was a bad loser then. She wouldn't accept medals. She wouldn't shake hands. She, she took it personally. But as a young woman, she's been through a lot. She, yes, she said a lot of dumb things. Remember, this, here's someone who's been through a lot. You're from Watford. And what we're learning now is boxers from Watford aren't blessed with brain cells. Right? Let's just keep it real. Boxers from Watford are not blessed with brain cells. And so that's, this is why they behave the way that they do. Now... I don't buy into all of this baby-faced assassin. I think Tyron Booth was right. I don't, think, I don't think she's quite Shirley from EastEnders. But she reminds me of... If anyone remembers Kathy Barry, and if you don't, Google Kathy Barry. So Kathy Barry is um, probably one of the pioneers. Like I think when, when like, porn went digital, like when the internet porn thing really blew up, Kathy Barry was like our British representative. So if you knew Kathy Barry from like the photo shoots and stuff, you might have read articles about her. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Now, when you started to watch the videos or if you saw on TV and you heard her speak, she had a real Bristolian accent. You kind of just like it, it made your stomach feel uneasy. Now, I ended up moving to Bristol in 2009 and I actually met Kathy Barry and her skin, her, like everything about her was terrible. And not because not she was just getting old. Like she looked like a Renault Clear Williams that had just been thrashed to within an inch of its life. You know, we see the seats are all worn and the glove box handle doesn't quite, I mean, doesn't quite close and the indicators don't quite work the way they should. And it's hard to shift from second to third. It's just been worked over and there's, the suspension is basically non-existent. There's no spring in the coils, nothing. And you get that sense of disappointment. And that's what a lot of people are getting now with Shannon Courtney, where they thought there was so much that could come from her and none of it's come through. Now, I can remember saying at the time, if you're looking for someone to bring, to bring that kind of glamour to boxing, it'll be someone like a Hannah Robinson, that kind of girl next door, you know, really humble, low profile, hard work. I think she works in a care home or something. Just a grafter. And that's really what you want. But someone's got to fix this Shannon Courtney thing because it damages your brand when someone is perceived to be that toxic. And I say perceived because I don't think she's that bad a human being, actually. Sometimes people take the tough guy thing too far and they, they end up living their gimmick, as they say in wrestling. And I think she's at that point where She's got the Adam Booth set up, although Adam clearly doesn't train her, judging by Saturday. 
and she's got the booth set up, she's got this, she's got that, and she thinks she's made it. And to an extent, from where she was, she has made it. But there's a long way to go. She's barely into her career. She has two defeats. One of them, I think, you know, is against someone. I don't think she'd ever beat Jamie Mitchell in a month of Sundays. Rachel Ball. <laughs> Come on, man. Rachel Ball is probably still, still doing people's holiday vaccines and stuff. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know what's next for Shannon Courtney, but definitely a dose of humility is needed. And she's, she's probably got to learn from Anthony Joshua now and just go, maybe I don't need to be on social media. Maybe I don't need to engage the public because we have long memories. And when you get it wrong, whew, well, our vultures will come for you. But let's just jump into to Saturday's card, uh, the matchroom card, which I thought was really good. I didn't watch all of it just because I don't really, I don't have time like that anymore, to be honest with you. Although, judging by my tweet activity, I probably had far too much time on my hands. And... I want to give Eddie Hearn credit because I wish we had cards like that, if not every month, every two months, where, where we, just, we just bring, not necessarily grudge matches, but benchmark fights, okay? We've got, we got, we got Ted doing great things on this side. We've got Troy Williamson doing great things on this side. This guy was GB. That guy was GB. Um, let's find out who's who. And we did. And what a fight that was. It, and I always have to thank my friend Eleanor McCarthy, one of my favorite boxers, and I've talked about her many times. And Eleanor McCarthy is the reason I became a massive fan of women's boxing. Machine. Um, one of the best trainers I've ever seen, one of the best southpaws I've seen. Absolute monster. Machine. Could do it all. And she reminded me of a quote from Mick Carney when he, when he saw Ted Box as a junior. And I think it went like this. I'm going to paraphrase. And it said, Ted Cheeseman boxes with his heart and not his brains and it was like he'll be the sort of kid who turns pro early and gets his brain scrambled before he's 30 because he's too brave for his own good and I think you saw that on Saturday Ted could have boxed if he chose to but there was a point and you saw it pretty early in the fight where Ted was just like I'm just going to stay on the inside here and we're just going to go at it and I think what you start to see round after round was that Troy Williamson's work was taking more out of Ted than Ted's work was taking out of Troy. Because I'd always had Troy in this box of flattering to deceive. But that's a failing on my part because I don't really understand that kind of Northeast boxing the same way that other people do. So I take ownership of being ignorant to how good he really was. In all of the fights I'd seen him, I'd kind of just not been enthused. But what he showed against Ted was he showed he's a bag of tricks. He can do a lot of things. And, you know, breaking Ted down like that, and that knockout wasn't great to see for someone, someone so young. And I've seen the social media posts that Ted's put up since, and he's talking about other things in life, his family, business interests, and so forth. And I respect that. I think Ted's been a great ambassador. There's never been a fight you've ever seen with Ted and gone, God, that was boring. You know, if you want to put fighters in a certain group Ted is the guy that gave the fans exactly what they paid for if Ted Cheeseman sold you a ticket to a fight that he was involved in you would buy it because you know you're going to be entertained based on that he's earned the right to do whatever he wants with his career if he wants to fight on fantastic if he doesn't want to fight on fantastic we can say thank you Ted you shone brightly when you were around and if you want to know how tough the kid is just remember that Carson Jones fight 
And remember what Carson Jones did to, was it Ben Hall? The young guy, he blitzed in four or five rounds. And that's who Ted went in against. Fair play to him. So I've got a lot of time for Ted. Intrigued to see what Troy Williamson can do. Do you put Troy in with Liam Smith now? I think he's earned the right for that. But isn't he a Frank guy? So what do you do now? I, I, yeah, I have no idea what you do with Troy Williamson, but you've got you to let him out again. I'd like to see him against Liam Smith. But based on that Fowler fight, you imagine Liam Smith wants one more crack at a world title. And who would deny him? Because he took some heavy leather from Fowler. And I think I said it in one of my previous episodes. I told you, if Fowler loses this, we'll hear about all the nightmare it was to make weight and he'll move up to middleweight. I'd always thought he'd move up to middleweight. But my worry now is... There are a lot of heavy-handed guys at middleweight. A lot of heavy-handed guys at middleweight. If, I, if you put Anthony Fowler in with Lionel Sadofia, what happens? It doesn't end well for Fowler. Put him in with Denzel, I don't think it ends well. Eubank Jr., God help him. There are a load of these guys who are pretty tough. A, a, a fight you could probably give Fowler at 160 is Danny Dignam. Um, they're, they're peers, aren't they, from the... From, from GB so let, let's have that that's a good story marketable fight you know let's do that but uh, but I think Fowler's in this weird position because it's not like we're looking at Fowler from the perspective of he was once amazing and now he's declined it's like he never fulfilled the hype two-time ABA champion beat absolutely everyone he was supposed to beat in the amateurs but if you go back to the 2016 episode me, Martin, and Andy did, and I said it's a massive worry that this guy got dropped in the amateurs with those gloves because those gloves were pillows. I was like, he got dropped in. It's not like he staggered. He got dropped. And I said, that doesn't fill me with confidence. And I have a feeling that's how it's going to be with him. He's just going to keep getting dropped. And at 160, yeah. Now, you know, he's, he's telling us now that, what is he? Was it? He put on 20 pounds post-fight, and he's still ripped. But he was always in fantastic shape at 75 kilos, so that doesn't surprise me. But you wouldn't want him fighting at super middleweight. Jeez, no. Please don't put him at super mid. And I don't think there's anything a trainer can do to enhance it. I think, I think the, this is the fowler we're going to see, and just put him in exciting fights and let him make his money. I'm not going to be here taking kicks at fowler, because I, I quite like him. Like, after the Scott Fitzgerald loss, he's become a more interesting character, a bit more entertaining. But I also see why people don't like him, because he has a, <laughs> he has a legacy of punching people when they're down. So, uh, let me not intrude on that. But I just thought, if we come back to the card, it had everything. Peter McGrail, I think, if I'm his trainer, you got to give him a style better suited to the pros, because everything else is there. I just don't think the punch picking was where it needs to be. But... As per my friend Rob Edwards, I'm going to give him three or four fights to see if he can, you know, find his own boxing voice. I enjoyed watching Solly Dakers against Sokolowski. A lot of people said Solly been thrown under the bus. I think I said in the episode, the guy's big and he's strong and you don't realize how big and strong he is until you stand in front of him. I think he's got a bright future. You can fast track Solly into a fight with Fabio Wardley. I think you fast-track Solly into a fight with Fabio Wardley, and then he just hops to the British title. And at that point there, he's got to start maturing his style because he may 
befall the same consequences that fell befell Daniel Dubois. These guys need maturation fights, especially in the heavyweights. You need that that seasoning, that hardening up. You can't rush heavyweights. They've got a long enough career as it is. So learn the tricks of the trade, the foundations. Learn those fundamentals, you know, how to read punches, how to set yourself up, how to be in position to be hit, but not to get hurt. All these little things. But if someone's going to do it, it's going to be Solly. I think he's, I think he's a hell of a talent. And like just massive kudos to, to her in the matchroom. Quite liked having Molly McCann. I thought her energy was absolutely brilliant. Even when like you had the, the kind of fan disruption, she handled that well. So I think that's a good voice. Although I was disappointed we didn't get enough Tasha Jonas because I can never have too much Natasha Jonas as far as I'm concerned. But look, Molly McCann, more ladies, more ladies behind the mic, the better for me because she's a fighting woman. Let's, let's understand how she sees it like we do with Tasha Jonas. I want to say, how do you see it? Because I, boxing's taught me men and women see fights from different perspectives. Guys will see the, all the bravado stuff because that's what we tap into. The women will break it down like, okay, what are you doing here technically? What could you be doing better? And I'm generalizing, but broadly speaking, that's how it goes. So kudos on a really good card. And I don't often give Eddie praise because he, quite frankly, doesn't deserve it a lot of the time. But Saturday was what boxing fans needed. And can I just praise Echo Esterman? I saw nothing, absolutely nothing of the Frank Warren card apart from the Echo Esterman fight because I joined that in round three and it looked like the guy was getting, I can't even remember who he is and I'm not going to bother checking. Sorry, guys, forgive me. But the guy looked like he was getting the upper hand in rounds three and four and I was like, this isn't meant to be happening. And then Echo Esterman just let his hands go there's something about those Ghanaian fighters man the toughness and the the strength I I think you're just born with it and I, I don't want to say the new age boys told you but we called Echo Esamin probably even before he turned pro or just after he turned pro him and Derek Asaza were two guys I think we've been banging the drum for and you would put Echo Esamin in with Avanesian You'd put him in with Conor Ben now. I think he's got the toughness and he's got the, he's got the boxing fundamentals to do it. So let the man earn his money now. You know? And now Avanesian signed to, to Frank. How the hell that's that? Now I'm confused, right? Is anyone else confused? What fighters do Boxer own? What fighters do Wasserman own? What fighters do Sky own? Like we just, it's just a mess. It's a mess that doesn't work for me. You know, it just, nah, it's, it's, it's deflating. And let me just shout out Liam Dillon, because, you know, I've got to give Steve Goodwin a plug. So he fought on the Goodwin show on Saturday, and he beat Dennis Wahome uh, to win the Southern Area, maybe featherweight title, I don't know, super featherweight, it's 130 pounds. Yusuf Kamari beats both guys, but Yusuf is on to bigger and better things now. Shouts out, Yusuf, man, I hope you're enjoying Portugal. You know, message me if you actually listen to this episode. Uh, but yeah, Yusuf's out in Portugal, getting brown as hell, crushing it on the what bike. So like, you know what I mean, he needs to send me those what bike workouts because I'm not sweating like he is on mine. But now, shouts out to Yusuf, expecting big things from him, like he's just grafting away. And you'll see him October 30th on the Dillian White card. But just to come back to that, Liam Dillon, Southern Area Champion against Dennis Wahome. I'm sure Dennis was a Steve Goodwin fighter before, and I think Steve was just like, yeah, 
Eh, you can stay, you cannot stay, whatever makes you happy. And then on the subject of Steve, like, yeah, kudos to Steve for sharing the the Linus slash Eubank story. And I think that's on Ring Talk. It's a good episode. If you can grab the Ring Talk episode, it's really good. I thought Linus conducted himself really well. No disrespect to the other guy. I didn't know who he was. N not you, Martin, but the other guy. But kudos. Listen, I think Linus has come a long way. He's now in that position to fight for the British. This is a prediction Martin Theobald made God knows when. But he, he saw the vision before any of us did. So yeah, um, that Ring Talk episode, yeah, grab hold of it. It's about an hour long. It's good. Look, especially in an era where, or in a phase where, you know, we, we don't have Porky's Corner for a little while. This is a good, this is a good opportunity to, to, to grab some Ring Talk, you know, and, and get, get politically correct Martin for a change. But yeah, well, yeah, I do have to touch on Russ. So I think most people now know that Porky went to Turkey to get his teeth done. Now, I'm not sure how much of the story I'm allowed to share, so I'm not going to share too much. It's more for him to tell. So in Turkey, he gets his teeth done. And you know what Porky's like. He's happy now. He, he can smile. You know, he can, he can grin. He can smile. He can look happy. It's, it's, not, it's not always just snarling and growling. And as he's getting ready to, you know, celebrate a job well done, he falls ill. It, it was severe enough that they had to rush him to a hospital. Severe enough that they had to operate on him. Now, he will reveal the details of all the stuff. Like, it was, it, I can say it was a burst abscess, because I think that's in the public domain. Now, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, to be honest with you, because it has knock-on effects everywhere else. So, so, yeah, I think that's where we are with Porky. Is it stress-induced? No idea. Um, maybe he can answer that. But it is unfortunate. And I say this because Russ is a friend. Not a mate I talk boxing with, not a mate that I meet at the boxing. Russ is a friend. You know, for all of his oddities, for all of his his abilities and gifts of winding people up. You won't meet a more generous human being. You won't meet a more dedicated family man. You won't meet a more loving human being than Russ. You just won't, you know, and it's hard for people to separate the on camera personality from the human being. I get that because you don't know the human being, but I do. So when I heard all of this, it was heartbreaking, you know, I was, honestly, I was one bad text away from getting a flight out to Turkey myself just to go and see him, see him for myself. Because like I said, when you're friends, man, you're in this, you're in this together. And I can only be grateful that his, his partner has been strong for him. His family have been strong for him. His friends have come around him and stood up for him and stood tall for him so that he will be looked after when he makes it back to the United Kingdom. And I'm just happy. As for what happens with the channel... I wouldn't expect much in the way of content in October, but I'm sure he'll make it up to everyone in November. So I know people are saying, so what am I paying for? I promise you, after 12 months, you'd have got more for your money than you're supposed to get. He's a guy who always makes things right in the end. So bear with him. You know, stay faithful. You know, stay optimistic and send him your best wishes. I know, I know like Spencer Fearon and so forth, these guys are they're all up in the media you know, saying it's all fake. It's not fake. I just spoke to him. 
I just spoke to him and, you know, he sounded positive, but you can see he's been through something. So I'm just waiting for him to get back and then, you know, we can all kind of work out what the convalescence plan is and I can go up and see him. But no, I am. I am cut up about it because, you know, in any other situation, imagine he'd been walking on his own in a forest and that had happened. Like, there may not be, there may, may not be no rust now. And there are, there, are, there are really nasty people who will hear that and go, good. But you've got to remember, like, there are two kids that rely on that guy. You know, and I always say this, behind everyone is a family. So be a bit more sympathetic before you tweet, uh, before you retweet and before you share. Now, Am I mad at Spencer for taking shots? No, because what they have is personal. Am I mad at Danny Connor and Sonny Edwards jumping in? No, because it's personal between those guys, right? They have every right to be annoyed at Porky. Every right. I'm not even going to tell them they're wrong. But someone's putting lies out in the public domain. I remember like when Danny did that video with Peter McDonough and he lied. You know, he lied about that. Danny Connor would never doorstep Porky Russ. It's no, for two reasons. One, it's a long way to travel, right? Two, Danny's not that kind of guy. Like, Danny won't even meet Craig Wyatt for a straightener. So why is he going to drive all the way to Doncaster? You know what I mean? <laughs> You've got to be realistic about who you're dealing with here, as far as I'm concerned. And these guys, they're not the men that they claim to be, right? I'll save you the suspense. They are not the men they claim to be. It, you know, but by a twist of fate and by years and years of training, they're all good at boxing, but no one's doorstepping Porky. No one sent anyone to go and see him. No one, they don't have that kind of power. So when I see stuff on Twitter, I kind of laugh and it's disappointing because they're not built like that. They just aren't built like that. You can be, you can be a guy that can have a row in the ring and kudos to you. you know, we, we applaud you. We watch you. But taking it to that, that street thug level, that gangster level, that risking jail level, none of the three people involved are built for that. And they'll tell you that themselves. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. But no, I am genuinely cut up about Russ. He's, he's a friend, as I said. The channel was just taking off. I have a feeling he'll probably go through a period of reflection now because it's a lot of stress keeping a channel going in the way that he was. And hopefully, you know, I mean, he can come back, dedicate himself to the channel, but in a more balanced way. And I, I think even as, as fans of Porky's Corner that many of you are, you'd like to see that slightly more balanced view. And I think he can deliver that. But I'll be praying for him. And I'll be giving him my best wishes. And I actually can't wait for him to be back here, if I'm being honest with you. I think that's probably a good point to, to tap out. Um, God, I've been so regular with these. I don't even know when the next one will be out. It might even be tomorrow. I mean, it absolutely cannibalizes my numbers. But listen, when you're in a productive vein of form, you've got to keep it going. So until the next time, guys, you take care. So today we're going to find out who listens all the way to the end because I realized I recorded and I forgot to touch on, on the thing I should have touched on, which was... <laughs> <laughs> so so to design subscribers an email was sent and it was in the form of a survey I think one of the questions in the survey was how likely are you to 
to buy Dillian White versus Andy Ruiz on pay-per-view for $29.99. $29.99, right? Bearing in mind you've just paid $24.99 on Sky to watch Joshua versus um, Uzusik. Yeah, God, memorable fight, wasn't it? Now, now I'm not surprised because I've been saying for a while the zone would go to advertising and they'd go to pay-per-view at some point for any number of reasons. Number one, back to what I said before, if you're going to buy BT Sport, which is now becoming a strategic imperative at the zone because they're realizing nothing's moving the needle. Joshua doesn't move the needle anymore. So if you're going to buy BT Sport for that football, you're going to have to concede ground on other things, right? So Sky will say, look, you can't have all of these things here. Like, you got to give us something and then we'll be okay with this. So it might be a carve-up where Sky say, we'll take some of these rights. You can have the football, but we need some of these other rights. You know, kind of that sweetheart deal that normally gets things over the line. But that sort of deal means there's no cash, there's no cash for Canelo. There's no cash for Anthony Joshua. There's no cash for Mikey Garcia. There's no cash for Dillian. There's no cash for Del Boy. There's no, there's no cash for spectacular new signings. There's no cash for anything. So how do you get the cash? You've got to have the pay-per-view model on top of your ever-increasing subscription model. So go all the way back to May 2018 where Eddie said, pay-per-view's dead, right? And then he did a pay-per-view in the UK, and they said, but Eddie, you said pay-per-view was dead. And then Eddie said, what I meant was pay-per-view was dead in the United States at the price point that it was, right? And then they asked him again about pay-per-view, and he said, you can't have too many pay-per-views that dilutes the product. Okay. So we have BT Sport doing pay-per-views at 20 quid. We've got Sky doing pay-per-views at 25 quid. And then does Owen want to do pay-per-views at 30 quid? And that's not diluting the market how? But it's a recognition that this isn't working. Whatever magic they thought Eddie Hearn had, whatever control and influence they thought Eddie Hearn had over boxing evaporated it doesn't exist it's not real so now as a zone subscriber you're like i'm not even going to bother yeah i'm not going to bother because what's clear is my subscription fee is now going to go to funding football rights i'm back to where i was with sky where i have to pay for the boxing i want i signed up to the zone so i only had to pay once a month for the boxing i want now you're telling me i've got to pay twice I may as well go back to Sky. So the design PR machine then says, look, this is just, you know, hypothetical. We're not saying we're going to, you are going to do it if the response is favorable. And if the response isn't favorable, you're going to hold people to ransom. And you're going to say, look, if you just want to pay $7.99 a month, you're going to get Mikey Garcia against, I don't know. Who was it? Sa Sando Martin? Oh, who cares? But you're not going to get Mikey Garcia against Regis Progre for $7.99. You're going to have to pay 
20, maybe 25 quid. You're going to get held to ransom again by her and he did this to you before and you fell for it. Let's see how many people fall for it again and go, wow, if we want these fights to be made. He didn't make the fights we wanted him to make. We followed Hearn on this pay-per-view journey. We didn't get White Joshua too. We didn't get Joshua Fury. We didn't get Joshua Wilder. We couldn't even get Eubank Billy Joe too. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't get anything. Canelo couldn't get Plant until he got rid of Hearn. So are we now going to believe that Hearn's suddenly a reformed character and now he can make these fights happen? I don't believe that. I think you're just seeing that... The, the, we're into almost like the final lap of a, a really desperate saga here where the zone don't know how to make this work. And I don't think the technology they're working on in the background is going to come on stream before they run out of money. And if the BT deal happens, which I think they're struggling to prove they can pay for it, but if it does happen, then whew, God help them. But don't fall for the pay-per-view con. The only man, and once again, Steven Espinosa wins again, the only man that can deliver pay-per-view quality fights for a boxing audience is Steven Espinosa. That's why all those times Eddie was making fun of Steven Espinosa, you had to just pause and go, but Steven's delivered every time he delivers. And Eddie can't deliver at that stage and at that level. Bob Arum ain't going to let him. Espinosa ain't going to let him. Al ain't going to let him. So, listen, just, just enjoy your Liverpool cards. Enjoy your Sheffield cards. Isn't that the worst card that you can think of? Kid Galahad versus Kiko Martinez. Really? That's the best they could do? Like, they couldn't say to Isaac Dogwa, mate, do you fancy it? Kiko Martinez. Not even Lee Wood. Kiko Martinez. I'm just going to end it there, man. That's so disappointing, isn't it? And Terry Harper against Alicia Baumgartner. Although she is maybe... Oh, it's pretty, who, who, is, who is the best-looking female boxer? She's definitely top three. Uh, who's the other one? Hannah Gabriels has to be in the mix. And then one other, and I can't think of who, but phew, I'll watch it just for that, to be honest with you. But as for Terry Harper... 